Welcome to Hope Stream, a podcast for moms and dads who have kids with substance use disorder or who are in treatment or early recovery. I'm Brenda Zane, fellow mom to a child who battled an addiction to drugs and who almost died from multiple fentanyl overdoses. So I see you and I feel your pain, and I created this space for people just like us. Hopestream is a space where we focus on you, your health, sanity, and well-being, and I also bring expert resources to help you navigate this scary and confusing world of teen and young adult substance use. This is where you'll find your tribe, and I'm really glad to have you with me. So let's get into today's episode. Welcome to a special bonus episode of Hope's Dream. It's an episode I wish I didn't have to make, but it is a subject that is near and dear to my heart and to hundreds and thousands of other people who have been affected by drug overdose. I won't go into my personal story here. Um, You can listen to that on episode one of this podcast. And you can also read specifically about our son's overdose experience and how it impacted our family on my website at brendazane.com forward slash in the grip. And so if you want to hear more about why this is super important to me, why it's something I'm very passionate about, you can check those out. What I do want to focus on today are three things that really apply to every person in our country. And these are the three things I really want you to take away from this episode. The first is that people who are not addicts are dying from overdoses or what you could also call chemical poisoning. Number two is that we need to be extra aware and vigilant right now during COVID because overdoses are on the rise again. And number three is that there is a very, very simple thing that you can do to save someone's life, even if you don't know anyone who's using drugs. And I want to thank a really special group of people and organizations who have sponsored this episode. They all do amazing work in the field of addiction and recovery, and they're generous supporters of HopeStream. They include Crossroads Academy, Family Addiction Specialists, CMC Foundation for Change, The Shameless Mom Podcast, All Kinds of Therapy, Wonder, the National Opioid Action Coalition, or NOAC. Andy Basket, Alexander Cameron, and the Mighty Parenting Podcast. So thank you so much, and please do check them out if you are looking for resources. This is an awesome group of people and organizations to start with. I think it's common for people to hear about the opioid epidemic and overdose and feel like you're very detached from it because it hasn't necessarily hit your immediate family Or maybe you have a kid who's just smoking pot and drinking, getting into a little bit of trouble, but something like an overdose doesn't really even seem in the realm of possibility. I hope that you will keep listening because overdoses are so much closer than you think. And there are hundreds of thousands of parents who were sitting in your shoes thinking that it wasn't relevant to them. And now they are visiting the gravesite of their son or daughter. This is very real, and it's much, much closer to home than you think. To begin, I will give you a lay of the land on where we are today with drug overdoses from a statistical standpoint. And there is good news followed by bad news. The good news is that from 2017 to 2018, overdose deaths actually went down for the first time. 
in 2017, there were approximately 70 to 72,000 deaths from drug overdose. And in 2018, there were just over 67,000. For context, that is more people who die from guns and car accidents and breast cancer. So a decrease of even 3,000 deaths is positive news, and it's partially due to the increase in access to naloxone, which is something I'll talk about in a few minutes. And something very important to note is that of these 67,000 overdose deaths in 2018, Opioids were involved in nearly 47,000 of those, and 32% of those involved prescription opioids. So if your perception is that these overdoses are only happening to homeless heroin junkies that you see in tents on the side of the road or in an alley downtown, you're going to want to listen to the rest of this episode because it is, again, much closer to home than you think. Now for the bad news. Sorry, I know we all have a lot of that right now, but it can really be summed up in this case in two words, COVID and fentanyl. So let's start with COVID. Um, As everything related to this pandemic of 2020 isn't bad enough, there is more startling news. A recent AMA brief showed that more than 40 states have reported increases in opioid-related mortality since COVID hit, with the national average increase thought to be around about 18%. And there are areas that are seeing much, much higher rates, like Denver. The Denver Department of Public Health and Environment looked at the first six months of 2019 and then the first six months of 2020. And there was an increase of 83% in fatal overdoses in 2020. And the number of fentanyl-related overdose increased 354% in the same time frame. That is not a typo, folks. That is not a misspeaking, 354%. So it's all over the board when it comes to the increase across the country. But these numbers are really, really incredibly scary. When we talk about COVID and overdoses, isolation is a major cause. And obviously, because of the mandate to isolate, more people have been overdosing alone where there is nobody there to help them. And so more of the overdose cases are going straight to the morgue rather than get having somebody be able to get to the emergency department. And for this episode, I wanted to get some perspective from folks who are dealing with addiction and helping families with this problem every single day. And Lynn and Aaron Sternlicht from Family Addiction Specialists were generous enough to hop on the phone with me and talk a little bit about both this idea of isolation, but some other really important factors that are happening right now with overdoses and with just addiction in general? Yeah, I think when people think of overdose, they generally think primarily of opioids, especially because we're hearing about it so much in the news as we have been in the past few years, especially with the increase in fentanyl. But there's also so much overdose from other prescription medications, especially from benzodiazepines like Xanax. And, and also a lot of overdoses from alcohol. And, and then there's also a lot of stimulant overdoses from drugs like meth or cocaine. So, you know, you can really overdose from any number of, of substances. 
and any of them can be fatal. So it's so important for people to be aware that people do not just overdose from opioids. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, um, Aaron. And also, I think sometimes people are not aware of the combination. You know, every time you mm-hmm. look on the bottle, it'll say don't take, you know, with alcohol. But I think a lot of people ignore that. Yeah. And especially people who are abusing drugs or getting their drugs illegally, oftentimes they're not just taking one substance. I mean, I know as a person in recovery, at the end of my drug addiction, I think I was on five or six substances pretty much on a daily basis. Um, opioids were always my, mm. my drug of choice, but I was on a combination of things, including Xanax, alcohol, marijuana, cocaine. So anybody who, who mixes drugs, even if they're intentionally getting high or unintentionally getting high, such as taking a medication, uh, and, but then you know, maybe even just having something innocent like two or three beers or a glass of wine, it can be fatal or, or can lead to an overdose. And what about the isolation factors? I think we're all feeling a little bit crazy from the isolation that that um, has been imposed upon us. And now, you know, it's starting to lift. I mean, we're recording this in um, late August, but uh, there still is a lot. And, and I think people also have sort of kind of gone into this mode of like, I can't go out. I can't do this because it's been so long. Um, what would you say to somebody who's got a friend or a relative who's, you know, they haven't seen in a while, they've been making a lot of excuses for not getting together. Um, it feels like those people could be at greater risk too. You know, get in touch with them um, as much as you can. You know, also another um, uh, recommended way to get in touch with them regularly and kind of really check in with them is to do Zoom or FaceTime. So you can really see, even if you're not physically seeing them and kind of honoring their request, you can still see their eyes, you know, their facial expressions and, you know, how they kind of live and how they look on a day-to-day basis. Because sometimes like you, you know, you may have assumptions based on their past history and it's very common for loved ones to just like automatically assume that they're relapsing and they're doing really poorly. Another thing that I wanted to point out, sometimes parents, you know, perceive overdose, whether it's accidental or intentional, as like one isolated event that could really change their life, or it could be a source of enlightenment or some kind of epiphany that would lead them to kind of sobriety. But oftentimes what we see in our practice is that that's not really true. Overdoses, whether it's once or twice, you know, hospitalizations, that alone really doesn't lead to a person wanting to get sober. Sometimes, you know, they feel more powerful, actually, or invincible. They they have survived. Whereas parents, you know, falsely hope that, oh, this was, you know, the rock bottom that we were waiting for. And now, you know, hopefully my son, daughter, or husband, or, you know, see the light or try to get help after this incident. And that's usually not the case. Yeah, I think a lot of times people who are addicted to drugs are feeling so helpless and hopeless and are often either actively suicidal or passively suicidal, meaning that, uh, and I can also speak for myself that when I was at my lowest point, I didn't want to kill myself, but I also didn't really care what happened to me. So, you know, if I got hit by a bus or, or overdosed, um, it kind of just would have put me out of my misery. And it wasn't on the forefront of my mind, uh, you know, on a day-to-day basis. But 
I, I say that to say that I think when people are in active addiction uh, and they're feeling depressed and isolated and lonely, um, they might not necessarily care what happens to them. So an overdose wouldn't be something that necessarily scares them. Yeah, that's really hard. And what do you do about that? Right? I, I don't know. Um, I don't know how you have a conversation with somebody about that um, to let them know that there is hope. You know, because a lot of a lot of people just don't think that they can ever get out of it. And I'm sure you may have felt the same way, Aaron. Just you know, it gets to a point where it's so bad that you they just figure I'm never ever going to get out of this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just feeling stuck, feeling like either number one, that they can't get out of it or that there's just no point to get out of it because drugs is kind of the only thing that brings them happiness into their life. And I mean, we all know now that that's one of the impacts that addiction has on the brain. It uh, depletes the brain's ability to produce, um, you know, brain chemicals that make you feel good. So that's why oftentimes people in addiction report feeling depressed. And, And sometimes there is an underlying depression issue, but sometimes it's induced by the drugs. So that's something they can, they can figure out once they get sober. What, um, I I don't have as much experience in, in talking about alcohol and I, and I find this interesting. It's always Mm -hmm. called alcohol poisoning, not alcohol overdose. And I don't know why that is, um, because we talk about drug overdose, but not drug poisoning. Whereas overdose sounds like, oh, you're going to die. Alcohol poisoning sounds like you had a bad night. Right, right. Like it's the alcohol's fault. <laughs> <laughs> like you got some bad gin there. I don't know. <laughs> that's that's so weird. Um, but if somebody, you know, because people do drink pretty regularly, I think it's it's more, you know, commonly accepted, and obviously normal in society. So how would how would you know if somebody was kind of excessively drinking? Are there signs to look for um, if somebody has sort of ramped up their intake, but, but maybe they're kind of good at hiding it? Well, first of all, there's, there's obvious, uh, some obvious symptoms. So if the person is just uh, you know, blackout, if they're constantly smelling like alcohol, if they're slurring their speech, um, you know, those are obvious signs that, that they're drinking too much. And um, it's also important to know that alcohol poisoning, all it takes is, is one night of excessive drinking. So they don't necessarily have to be a daily drinker. It can be somebody who's a binge drinker or just has uh, one bad night and they can overdose from alcohol. Um, if somebody's at the point where they're vomiting or if they're experiencing seizures or if they're having any type of mental confusion or irregular breathing, those are signs where you should immediately seek out uh, medical attention because the person might be uh, headed towards uh, alcohol poisoning that they won't be able to to come back from. See so commonly in and out of my practice is that people uh, drinking, casually drinking a glass of wine or two while taking antidepressant. And it became so normalized that, oh, you know, I felt a little bit off or I felt extremely fatigued or I I couldn't really remember. I just packed out. But people kind of tend to minimize those symptoms. And there was like one or two nights of, you know, again, like bad nights or something was off. But you know, even four to six Tylenols mixing with the alcohol could be lethal. Um, a lot of people don't know that. A lot of people don't really recognize that or they don't really take it as seriously. But that's another thing that, you know, happens commonly, but something to really watch out for. Right. And I and I have heard that, um, and I this kind of logically makes sense, that 
since COVID hit that antidepressants have been um, prescribed more. And I don't have a percentage or anything, but that makes sense. And so if somebody is now newly taking, you know, an antidepressant or something like a Xanax or, you know, something to help them sleep, uh, that combination with alcohol, you know, maybe they normally drink two or three glasses of wine a night. Now they're adding a new um, prescription and that could be super, super dangerous as well. They also create, you know, almost like an unexpected therapeutic effect for example you know they may feel really um spontaneous or they feel like oh they could just pass out when they suffer from chronic insomnia or you know physical pain so they may accidentally kind of like like that effects of you know mixing medication with alcohol without fully knowing the long-term consequences anything else you guys want to um throw out there that that people need to know on this this day i'd say since it is Overdose Awareness Day, you know, if you suspect that, that your loved one has an issue with, with drugs or alcohol, seek out help immediately um, because, you know, stopping the problem earlier is much easier than, than trying to stop the problem later. So, you know, do whatever you can to reach out for help because otherwise it's, you know, you can hold on to a lot of regrets and self-blame if anything were to happen to that person and you did not attempt to do something. So, if it means having a hard conversation with them or doing whatever is necessary to make them realize that you care for them, you love them and you're concerned about them. It's one of those things where I think a lot of times people don't believe that something like an overdose is in the realm of possibility for them or their, you know, their family or their friends. And I've talked to, and I'm sure you guys have too, you've talked to enough families and enough people who say that like, it could have never happened to our family and it did. And so that I think is what we're all trying to avoid and to make people aware of is it is, it's just, it's so close and it's so tragic when it happens, whether or not the person dies, the person doesn't even have to die. You know, my son survived miraculously his two fentanyl overdoses, but I'll tell you what, our family went, you know, through something so unimaginable with that, that, um, when you talk about overdose, it doesn't just have to be that the person died in the with the overdose. Um, it's very, tra- very, very traumatic, even if they do survive. Um, my message to family members is that you know, especially in the beginning of the recovery or in the beginning of like getting help, they may not be sober and clean in the way that you would like them to be. Right? It may not be exactly like s- such a hopeful picture. In the beginning, but then, you know, if they're starting, if they are getting better, if they're trying, um, always offer compassion, support and empathy. And, you know, you guys can heal as a family. So good, Lynn, because it is so tempting to have a picture in your mind of what this should look like. And when it doesn't go that way to get discouraged. Um, But yeah, you're right. It's so it looks different for everybody. And we really have to set aside our assumptions and our desired outcomes for that other person. Well, I, I want to move on now. And I really could talk with Lynn and Aaron all day because there's just so much information that they see in their practice. But I want to move on to the second big factor that's going on here during COVID and, and Aaron mentioned it, and that is fentanyl, which is increasingly killing more people than prescription opioids or heroin. 
It's important to know that fentanyl is a legal drug. It was developed for end-of-life cancer pain management, but the fentanyl that's killing people today is being made illegally, mainly in Mexico and China. So when you hear about the drug busts and the overdoses and the seizures, that's the fentanyl that we're talking about, the illegal fentanyl, not somebody's cancer medication. So when you add COVID and illegal fentanyl, you get a nightmare. Millennium Health, which is a national laboratory service, recently looked at over 500,000 urine drug tests that showed an increase of 32% for non-prescribed fentanyl. So again, that illegal fentanyl, 20% for meth- methamphetamine, and 10% for cocaine, just when they were looking at mid-March through May. So that's a massive increase in these drugs being present in drug tests. So what was already a surge happening is really now a tsunami. And there's another angle to COVID that's caused drug use to be particularly deadly. And this is because the pandemic has crippled the illicit drug supply chain. This could be its own podcast episode, and maybe it will be. I've, I've got it on my list because it's really, really massive and important. But I will give you a Cliff Notes version here of what's happening. First of all, you've probably heard of Wuhan, China, because it was the epicenter of the coronavirus in China. What you might not know about Wuhan is that it was also the capital of the chemical production for the illegal fentanyl market. Vendors there shipped huge quantities of these chemical precursors around the world, and their biggest customers for the basically the ingredients for fentanyl were the Mexican drug cartels. But coronavirus disrupted all of that. It disrupted the production of the chemicals that are used to make illegal fentanyl, which then caused a ripple effect that's cut into the profits of the Mexican traffickers, and it's driven up the street drug prices across the U.S. And Wuhan is back open now because we're recording this in August of 2020. So production is back up, but the supply levels aren't at the same level that they were pre-COVID. And again, that's a whole different podcast. I could go on and on about this. But basically, higher prices mean more crime. And I think we're seeing that across the board in our country. So I'll leave it at that for now. Um, But that is one of the, the big reasons that we've got such a disruption here in the U.S. with overdoses. In addition to those chemical precursors being cut off, that supply being cut off in Wuhan, the borders to and from Mexico and Canada have also been closed since March of 2020. And they're close to everything except essential travel, which is basically commercial trucking. And this means that fentanyl from China, which normally travels by air into Vancouver, BC and Alberta, primarily in Canada, and then it comes down across the border into the US, that flow has been crimped as well. And so the same for heroin and fentanyl from Mexico, it hasn't stopped altogether, but the supply has definitely been crimped. And so people with substance use disorder are now having to turn to new dealers or unfamiliar drugs that they're unused to. They're not used to the dosing of those new substances and it's creating really, really deadly consequences. And one of the new drugs that are showing up recently in the U.S. in overdose reports is isotonitol. 
Tazine. I'm probably butchering that. So if you're a medical professional, maybe you could let me know how to, to say that. But the street name is ISO, I-S-O. And it has just as of August 2020 been classified as a Schedule One narcotic with the DEA. It's a synthetic opioid. Uh, it has no approved medical use. It's not an approved pharmaceutical product. And it's not approved for any medical use anywhere in the world. So it is kind of what's called online and on the street a research drug, even though it's not really being used in any official research. And evidence from the overdose cases suggests that people are using ISO as a replacement to heroin or other opioids, and they're either doing this knowingly or unknowingly. And if you go to the show notes, there's an image there of what these ISO pills look like. And they actually are coded with the letter M as in Mary. So people would have no idea what they're taking. And the cases of ISO overdoses have been pretty limited to a few states in the Midwest. So this isn't something that's a, a widespread issue yet in the U.S. But what it does is it just shows how these new drugs are floating around and people are having to turn to different substances because of COVID. And when they aren't able to get those usual substances, they can be at a much, much higher risk for overdose. That's the lay of the land. Basically, after a one-year dip, overdoses are back on the increase at a rate of about 18% nationally. Again, some states are trending closer to 40 to 80%. Um, this is after that one first ever dip from 2017 to 18. Second, fentanyl is a monster that is just ravaging this country. And the isolation of COVID is causing more people to abuse these substances alone in isolation where they can't be saved if they overdose. So sorry for all the negativity. I know that that's not a fun topic, but I just wanted to give you a good kind of benchmark of where we are. Now, I also have two positive things that I can talk about. One is naloxone. And you may recognize more the brand name, which is Narcan. And Narcan is the only reason that my son is alive today. It saved him from two fentanyl overdoses. So I am a pretty huge fan. And I spend a lot of time advocating for Narcan distribution and speaking about it to help people understand that it is the number one easiest way that you can be involved actively in the opioid epidemic and you can help save lives, especially now. And you can think of Narcan as an EpiPen for overdose. It's a nasal spray. So it's similar to using an allergy medication, super easy. There's no injection. It's nothing complicated. Basically, if you can give yourself allergy medicine, you can administer Narcan and potentially save a life. And I say potentially because, and not will, because it really depends on the substance and the amount of the substance that somebody has used. And in many cases, one or two doses of Narcan will bring that person back and they can get to the ER for stabilization. There are times when more than one or two doses are needed. So if somebody has taken a large quantity of fentanyl, um, or or something else that was laced with fentanyl, it can take more doses. But it does work, and it does bring people back. It lets people get into the ER, and that that's where they can get stabilized physically. 
But that also allows them to get opportunities to talk about treatment and to getting into treatment programs. So one thing with Narcan is that it will keep people alive and give them an opportunity to get into a program where they can get into detox and get some help. And then the second positive thing that I'll talk about around this opioid crisis and COVID specifically has to do with medication-assisted treatment. And you'll hear this talked about as MAT, and it helps prevent overdoses by keeping people in recovery stable and not seeking illegal drugs. And there are three drugs in particular that help people not use opioids And these are specific to opioids. They're not currently approved for or effective with chemicals like meth or cocaine or benzodiazepines. So it's great that there's medications that really, really do help people stay off opioids. However, getting those medications has been quite a hurdle in the past. And people have to go into a clinic daily in the case of methadone or to a doctor's office to get Suboxone or Naltrexone. And that's the the brand name for Naltrexone is Vivitrol. So there has been quite a, a bit of a hurdle for people to get these medications, um, which of course we don't want. If somebody is wanting to get medication to stay off of opioids, we want to make it as easy as possible. So Of course, with the challenges of COVID, it's made it almost impossible for people to get that medication or for them to get it in a safe way. So not having to wait in line with 50 other people shoulder to shoulder to get a methadone um, dose. And so relapse and overdose is going to be much more likely if people aren't getting their medications. So the good news here is that finally, SAMHSA, which is the U.S the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration and the DEA, they have provided increased flexibility now for providing these medications so that people can actually take doses home where in the past they weren't able to, or they can fill a prescription for more doses than they've previously been able to. Because a lot of times people are having to drive and travel an hour, two hours or more to a doctor to get their medication which is not realistic if you're dealing with isolation, if you're dealing with quarantine, it just doesn't work. So this is really a life-saving change that many people in the treatment field have been pushing for for years. It's something that has just been one of those really challenging things. And so even though it took a pandemic to make it happen, it's a really positive thing. It's also really important to talk about common times when people experience an overdose. And one of these times is when people are just out of jail or just coming out of a treatment program. And that sounds a little odd, but the reason is because when you've been in jail or if you've been in a treatment program, your tolerance level has gone way down. And if you, it's very common for when people get out to want to just use once, to just try it one more time. And if they do that and they use the same amount that they did when they went into treatment or went into jail, that level of the substance can be fatal. And this is so, so common to see people 
within 24 hours of release from incarceration or from a treatment program, they will be in the uh, the emergency department with an overdose. So this is really important to be aware of. If you have a friend or a family member in that situation, really take note of where they are, what they're doing. Make sure you absolutely have Narcan in the house or that they are carrying it themselves um, because it could definitely be a lifesaver. And another time when people are more susceptible to an overdose is when they try a new drug. And this happens when, let's say, somebody's been using prescription opioids. They've become um, dependent on those opioids, and then they are transitioning because they can't afford or they can't have access to those prescription pills anymore. They're turning to a street dealer um, to get either illicit opioids or potentially heroin or fentanyl. And they just don't know how much their body can handle of those substances. And especially in the case of fentanyl, you don't know how much is in the pills that you're taking or whatever you're getting. And then another time when people are very unexpectedly overdosing is when they're new users or when they're experimenting. These tend to be young teens who are partying, they're taking pills along with alcohol, and that is a truly deadly combination. At these parties that these um, younger tween and teens are going to, there may be a big bowl of pills, and the kids just grab a few and see what happens. Um, It is, honestly, it's just Russian roulette, and so many teens in this situation end up taking these pills at a party drinking alcohol, they fall asleep either at the party or they come home and then they don't wake up the next morning. And that is such a tragedy. So these are things to be really, really aware of. And teens. So let's talk about that for a minute because I know many of my listeners are the parents of teens and you're worried about your kids kind of venturing into this world. In 2018, We lost 4,663 young people between the age of 15 to 24 to overdose. So think about that. That is like every single kid in a large high school dropping dead in one year. That is just a staggering number of, of young people. And the overdoses that we're talking about here out of those 4,663 include opioids, but they also include cocaine, heroin, meth, benzodiazepines, and antidepressants. But almost 60% of those include fentanyl. So 3,618 of those overdoses included fentanyl. So these kids are getting fentanyl more than half of the time that they're taking a substance and overdosing. And sometimes they may know that they're getting it, but most of the time they don't. And there are two things here that I want to be really, really clear about. The first is that you must talk to your kids about fentanyl. Um, They won't know that they're getting it. And, you know, young kids and young adults who are not addicted to anything are dying because of because of fentanyl. So they're experimenting. It could be their very first time ever, ever taking a pill in their life. So this is not the time to be timid or to avoid the dreaded, you know, air quote, drug conversation. Um, That's just not an option anymore. So you need to let them know 
that this is also not just an oxy thing. So some kids think, oh, this is just an oxy thing. Oxy is, you know, sometimes um, cut with fentanyl. And that is not the case. So kids are also overdosing on Xanax and other things that are laced with fentanyl. And I guess I'd have you think about it this way. If you're uncomfortable with this conversation, think of how uncomfortable it's going to be if you find your son or your daughter in their bed and you can't wake them up. This happens all the time. I'm, I'm really not being alarmist here. This is very, very real. The second thing that I want to be really clear about is that you need to get to your pharmacy and get some Narcan. And you may be saying, I don't even know anybody who does drugs. Um, I'm just listening to this because I, you know, thought it was kind of interesting. Um, But you still need to carry Narcan because it's really the one thing that you can do that is going to save a person's life. Um, And even if you don't know a single person who's using these drugs, you might be walking down the street um, and see somebody who's not breathing, you know, it's it's not uncommon to be walking down the street and see somebody sort of slumped over at a bus stop or, um, you know, on the side on the sidewalk in a in an urban place. There's another very common place where people overdose that you might encounter them just in your everyday life. And that's in the bathroom of either a fast food restaurant, or a grocery store or a library. Now, I know libraries aren't open at the current time, but they will be reopening at some point. And what you'll notice is that there may be a person in the stall next to you that is kind of slumped on the floor. This is a very, very common place that people overdose. So again, not being alarmist, but this is the simplest thing that you can do. And really the best slash worst case scenario is that you would never need to use it, but you had it just in case. I will wrap this up with a final really practical comment about where people get these prescription drugs and also what you can do um, to help. Another very easy thing that you can do to help. So the way that people are getting these prescription drugs, if they aren't prescribed to them, is through diversion. And this happens when you're away from the house, maybe you're at work. Maybe you're away for a weekend and your son or daughter goes into your medicine cabinet and that leftover Vicodin from your knee surgery two years ago is sitting there on the shelf and they just swipe a few to take to a party. Or you have some friends over for dinner and the wife had a really, really painful C-section and she has become dependent on her pain medication and she goes to the bathroom at your house and finds the oxy from your teenage son's wisdom tooth removal. And by the way, one of the most common ways kids get introduced to opioids and can often become addicted is when they're 18 or 19, they get their wisdom teeth removed and they are prescribed opioids. So I'll also link out to a blog post that I wrote specifically about the wisdom tooth issue um, in the show notes. So that's how it goes. And again, the really, really simple way to stop diversion of these drugs is to just not keep them around and don't keep any, especially prescription narcotics or benzos in your home that you aren't taking and actively monitoring. And if you are taking them, that's fine. Just be sure you're monitoring how many pills are in your bottle because it's very easy for people to swipe one or two and then you get confused about how many you've taken. So just make sure you're actively monitoring that and then get rid of them as soon as you're done taking them. 
Uh, don't flush them down the toilet, which is the thing that a lot of people do, uh, because then the drugs get into our water system. So you can take them. Almost any pharmacy will have a safe drop box. You can also just search online for a prescription take back. And again, I'll put a link in the show notes um, for a directory for that if you're looking. I know that this is a lot of information, um, and I thank you for listening. It is so, so important. And please, again, check out the show notes. There's going to be a ton of research there, all of the um, statistics that I talked about, and also I'll put information there where you can get Narcan, the articles, and everything else. And again, I want to thank the sponsors of this episode. You can find them all in the show notes and links to their websites. And if you're a mom or if you know a mom that is uh, having a hard time with a child who is maybe experimenting with, with substances or they might be in active addiction, they may also be in a treatment program or entering um, the, the nerve-wracking phase of recovery, you can let her know about our private online community called The Stream. It's a very safe and supportive place for moms to be. It's away from Facebook. It's just a, it's been called an oasis for moms, um, for for those who are going through a hard time with their kids. And you can learn more about that on my website. And there's also a link on my website to download an ebook that I wrote called Hindsight, Three Things I Wish I Knew When My Son Was Addicted to Drugs. Pretty self-explanatory, but if you or somebody that you know could use that, feel free to go there and download it. It's brendazane.com forward slash hindsight, and I think you'll get a lot out of that. Thanks again for listening. Please, if you have 30 seconds to uh, review and rate the podcast, that would mean the world to me. And then I will meet you back here next week.